We're glad you're here with us this morning as we continue our Ephesians series called, who wants to shout it out, the theme of Ephesians. See, with an extra hour of rest, it should be right there. Amy, it's always you. Amy's got it right in the holster. <laughs> Lifestyles of the rich and godly is the theme through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to continue that today as we look at Ephesians chapter 4. Now, it does say verses 17 to 32 on the screen. And I'm probably going to read the entire text, but I don't think we're going to have time to get through that entire text. I do what's called like a little bit of a dry run <clears throat> with my sermon, and it was well over the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I don't think we're going to get to 32 today, but we will probably get to, let's see, verse 24, and then maybe save the, next, uh, the rest for, la for next week. Excuse me, in a two-part sermon here. So if you have your Bibles, though, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32, and we're going to call the title of our lesson today, Live New. Christian. Live new Christian. Pastor Mel sends his greetings. My mom and Pastor Mel are out of town. My mom is speaking at a women's conference, and my dad is speaking at a church in Cleveland today, so that's why they're not with us, but they do send their greetings. Did you ever have to get rid of something because you hung on to something old and bad too long? Any hoarders out there? You ever hang on to something old and bad too long? I've told you before I'm not a hoarder, and I'm really not. I, I find reasons to throw things away, but for, I know there's a few things in my life that I keep, and I don't really know why. Well, one of them I know why. But I have two examples of something that I've held on to too long, and I'm going to show them to you today. The first one is, anybody have old technology laying around? Old technology? Technology gets dated very quickly. Um, you're good for probably two to three years, and after that it just becomes kind of like a paperweight. Well, for some reason, you guys have known, if you guys know me for any amount of time, you know that I use a BlackBerry device, right? Circa 2009, something like that. I like it. I just, I like the keyboard. I like, I think it's better. Well, I don't, maybe you don't know this, but BlackBerry actually once produced a tablet back in the day, probably a decade or so ago. And uh, being a big BlackBerry fan, I decided to jump on that train. And I have it here today. BlackBerry tablet. Now, there's, there's probably a couple questions you have. A, why did you buy this? BlackBerry's not known for making tablets. No, they made one and they stopped, and they did that on purpose. Um, the second question, which is the most obvious, is why do you still have this thing? Okay, this thing is old. It does turn on. I tested it. It boots up. And after that, there are so many error messages, I can't even get to the, the operations of the thing. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know why I have it. I don't know why. It's in my drawer. It's, it's, I don't know, I like BlackBerry, but I have no purpose for this thing at all. I don't think about it. And uh, you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. Get rid of it, man. Throw it away. It's old. It's bad. It's no good. You have a new tablet that I'm preaching from here today. This thing has no bearing whatsoever in my life anymore. And I don't know why I have it. Maybe you have stuff like that in your home where you're like, man, just get rid of it. So maybe. We'll see. But I have another thing. And this thing, I know why I still have it, but maybe you won't. <sighs> now, take a look at this. This is a pillow, right? You guys can tell it's a pillow. This pillow I've probably had, Janine thinks it's longer than seven or eight years, right? Maybe close to nine years. This pillow was a pillow that I actually thieved from my mom's house about nine years ago because I liked it. I laid on her couch and I liked the pillow and I said, Mom, I'm taking your pillow and I took it. And I didn't feel bad about it. And I've been using this pillow. It's a couch pillow, right? You can tell that. I've been using this couch pillow on my bed, like along with my regular pillow for like the last eight or nine years. And I don't know if you could tell, but it's kind of lost the shape of a pillow. It's more like a pancake. And uh, Janine, 
This one, see, this one hides away, and I can't, I, I, I don't think about it. It's not really in the way. I'll probably have to throw it away, but this is an eyesore on her bed. This thing, when Janine makes her bed, has to go right on top because she knows this is my pillow, and look at it. It's actually coming apart. I don't know if you can see that there. Um, we've tried to replace it. We have. Janine has, you know, gone on a hunt with me to saying, we're going to replace that pillow, and you're going to get rid of that old pillow, and so we bought a couple pillows that kind of looked similar, and then I tried it out. I'm like, no, not as good. No, I want my old pillow back. And so I, I pull it back out of the drawer, maybe the garbage. Did it ever get that far? <laughs> and uh, so here it is. It's kind of, you see some threads hanging off it. It doesn't really look like a pillow anymore, but it's my pillow. You guys have anything like that? You just don't want to get rid of it? Nobody else? Okay, that's awkward. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to ask you today, okay? Now, you have a choice. I could throw one of these two away today. Okay, and I'm going to leave it up to the audience. Do I get rid of the old Blackberry tablet, or do I get rid of my trusted and true couch pillow? What do you guys think? Blackberry. The tablet? You guys have made me happy. I get to keep the pillow? Excellent. You guys love me. Wait, what's that? We have someone in the back saying something. You want to object? Oh, it wouldn't have happened. No, 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 no. Church split. No, <laughs> the tablet will be thrown away, and I'll keep my pillow just for a little longer. If you have any gift ideas for me for Christmas, though, good luck. Try to replace that pillow. Put a slip cover. Yes, we've actually thought about that, but that doesn't take care of the pancake shape. Just wash it. It might finish it off. I'm sure it's been washed in the last nine years. If you have any strategies, come up. I'd love to hear your strategies for me keeping Mr. Pillow for another ten years or so. Breeze. It can be recovered, right? It's not like tech. Restuff it. Any goose, <laughs> any goose feathers out there? Okay, so that's that's the lead in. That's the segue into what we're going to talk about today. Did you ever hang on to something old and bad too long? I know all of you have, by the way, just by association, because one day about three weeks ago, there was a smell emanating from that refrigerator in the back room back there, and it was pungent. We opened the door and it was like a punch in the face, and I'm like, what is that? So we did the daring thing. We opened up the refrigerator and had to look inside. And we found, guys, there was food from 2015 in that refrigerator. I haven't been here that long. Don't blame me for that one. That's on you guys. I paid that out a long time ago. Okay, something made the cut, though. Something made the cut. We actually read the dates on a couple of those items. And like, yeah, that had to go away. And then Colleen, I don't know if she, Colleen, she actually saved the day because you found whatever it was. Because we threw some stuff away and it didn't take care of it. But... There was something, some bad news in that fridge. Anyways, let's get to the reading of the Word of God. Join me in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 17 to 32. But again, we'll probably chop this up into two lessons. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after, after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, 
Having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The title of our lesson today, as we mentioned, is Live New Christian. And this is an incredibly important lesson today. It is. When I was looking through Ephesians, this one didn't stick out to me for some reason. I was looking toward, you know, Ephesians chapter 2, that classic passage, and then what we talked about with unity. And I overlooked this one as the importance of what this is saying. But the more I studied it, the more I studied it, I realized how crucial this is today. Because we're, we're finding out today how to be Christian. Not how to become a Christian, but how to live like a Christian. How to follow Jesus. Is that pretty important? If we study how to follow Jesus, well, we're going to do that today. We're going to learn what it looks like to act and live like a Christian. And we have two goals that we're going to set before us today. Goal number one is this, to be reminded of who we are now by instructing us to not live like who we once were. So kind of a twofold goal there, to remind us of who we are by instructing us to not live like who we were. Goal number two is this, to put off the deeds that once corrupted our soul and to put on the deeds which prepare us to live with God forever. Two different goals that we have to set before us today. We're going to break this up into two lessons, like I said before. I just, it's just too much text. Too many good things to rush through this, so we're going to break this up into two lessons, I believe. But let's start with this. The first thing Paul basically says is this. Don't live like a Gentile any longer. Don't live like a Gentile any longer. Now, you sort of need to be, have been along with us through the journey here to understand what that word Gentile means. There's two different meanings for the word Gentile in Scripture, and you sort of need to know those two meanings and which time it's referring to. Sometimes you'll read Gentile, and it's, it's talking about the other time. And the two things that Gentile can mean, it can mean physically not Jewish. Okay, You don't have any Jewish heritage. You didn't grow up an Israelite. You didn't grow up a Jew. And because of that... You're a Gentile. I think probably 100% of the people in this room are Gentiles that way, okay? Non-Jews, that's really all it means. So sometimes when Scripture is saying Gentiles, it means people who are not natural Israelites and Jews. But there's another version of Gentile in the Scriptures, and it's referring to spiritual Gentiles. And when it refers to spiritual Gentiles, it's referring to people who are outside of Christ. They don't have a relationship with Christ. They don't follow Christ. They don't know God. They don't love God. There is another term for Gentile. And you can kind of see both at play here in Ephesians. Because he's writing to a church of mostly natural Gentiles. Now, we know everybody by nature is a spiritual Gentile to start off, right? Every single person, even the Jews. Unless until they're reborn from Jesus Christ, everyone starts off a spiritual Gentile. Okay? But he's writing to a church of mostly non-Jewish people. So he said before, he's used the word Gentiles, referring to that. Well, what he's going to refer to today is the other version of Gentile, which means practically, spiritually, apart from Christ. 
Okay, and that's when he says, don't live like a Gentile any longer. And he's saying this to a church of mostly Gentiles. And I guess that was probably a little strange to hear. It would be like someone saying to you today, don't live like an American. Don't do it. Don't live like an American any longer, American person. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a little strange to hear to go, wait a minute, why? What's the problem? I'm an American. That's all I know. So we're going to explore that today. Why does Paul say don't live like a Gentile any longer? And I guess that was probably a little strange for these Gentiles to hear. But we'll do our best explaining what he's talking about because he is referring to the spiritual Gentile here. Okay, He's saying don't live like who you used to be spiritually. He's not saying don't have any Gentile, non-Jewish traditions or anything like that. You have to act and think like a Jew with Jewish heritage. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying spiritually there are Jews and Gentiles. One means with God and one means apart from God, enemy of God. So when he says the word Gentiles, we have to remember what he's saying. Because Gentiles means, it actually means outsider. That's what the word Gentile means. It means outsider. It means not God's people. That's what the word Gentile means. It means not God's people based on living a sinful lifestyle that is contrary to God's will. And Paul is about to speak very derogatory toward the Gentiles' way of life. But please remember, he's not referring to the Ephesians here. Because the Ephesians are no longer Gentiles. Okay, They're no longer spiritual Gentiles. They're still physical Gentiles. Is everybody confused here? They're still physically not Jewish. Okay, But spiritually, they are adopted children of God. And we will reiterate that. But Paul is not referring to their way of life. He's referring to their former way of life. And remember how we started this sermon, by hanging on to, thing, to things that were old and bad too long. If we're all tracking here that he's talking about spiritual Gentiles here, we need to understand that he's going to speak very derogatory to their former way of life, and it's truthful. It's truthful. It was not a good way of life. It was a wicked, carnal, evil way of life, and we will walk through what he says here. But these Ephesians have had their nature changed by Jesus Christ. They are no longer Gentiles. Based on their faith in Jesus, based on his life-giving, life-changing gospel, they are adopted children of God. And we went over that in chapter 1. If you need to have that refresher, you can go back and listen to that. But that's important to know. These people are no longer Gentiles. So when he says, don't live like Gentiles any longer, He's reminding them who you are, who you have been made, and who you have become. So the Gentiles, the Ephesians here, are adopted children of God. You could even say they're spiritual Israelites. Because the word Israelite, too, means God's people. And you could look at that only in the flesh and the physical and go, okay, if I'm born in the Jews, if I'm born in Israel, I'm God's people, and everyone else is cut off. But we know that's not really what it means, is it? Because there's a spiritual sense of that word that means more to God than the physical sense. Because every single person, Jew or Gentile, can come to Jesus. Right? Every single person can come to Jesus. Every single person can become a child of God without any Jewish heritage at all. Myself. I have become a child of God. I had no Jewish heritage at all. I have been adopted into the family of God. And that's where these Ephesians find themselves. Praise the Lord, right? Because they used to be cut off. And Paul says, no longer live like who you used to be 
No longer live like a Gentile. No longer live like an outsider. No longer live like not God's people. Or we could say it this way. Don't live like a sinner anymore. Because you're not one. You've been made new. You've been given a new nature. And we're going to talk about that. You're not a sinner any longer. There's two terms in scripture besides Jew and Gentile. Sinner and saint. And sometimes the word saint is a little clouded in our day and age, but really in the scriptures, saint just means Christian. That's all it means. Sinner, outside of Jesus. Saint, inside of Jesus. Okay, so there's some of the terms that help us understand what Paul is saying. But I want to look now at how the, the, Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul describes practical spiritual Gentiles. Okay, remember, this is the, the uh, spiritual version of the word. Look how he describes practical spiritual Gentiles. And this is not a good resume. This is a bad resume. But I want to walk through the things that he says and kind of understand how these people used to live, how we used to live. The first thing he says is futility of their minds. Do you know what the word futility means? Pointlessness. Uselessness. Futility of their minds. Now, I want to pause for a minute and think about that because when he's describing the Gentiles here, he's describing every single person's former manner of life because every single person was a spiritual Gentile at some moment. That's how you were born. That's how you were raised. Before you came to Jesus Christ, this was your former manner of life as well, as well as mine. And the first one he says is futility of their minds. Pointlessness and uselessness. And guys, that, as I studied that this week, that choked me up. Because I remember that time in my life before Jesus Christ. And now as I look back on it, it's pointless. It's useless. It has no purpose. It has no bearings for God's kingdom. God looks upon my life, God looks upon what I'm living for, and he says, futile, futile, pointless, useless. They have no purpose. They're accomplishing nothing for my kingdom. Their life doesn't matter. Now, it matters to God because he knows what he can do with that life, but the way that we live doesn't matter to God. Isn't that hard to hear? Isn't that hard to understand that God considers us before Jesus, our lifestyle, pointless and useless, accomplishing nothing. And that's hard to hear, but that's, this is God's truth. This is not Paul's opinion. Paul is laying before us what God has laid before Paul to say this was your former matter of life, Paul. You too were futile in your mind. You were useless. You were pointless. And there's a lot of the world, unfortunately, that thinks they're quite important. They're doing quite important things for the earth. They're rich. They're successful. They're caring for the environment. They're green. You know, they're living for all kinds of things of these great important purposes. But here's the thing. In the perspective of God, it doesn't matter. If you're outside of Jesus Christ, none of that matters because you're not caring for the thing you should care most about, which is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is what should drive every one of our actions and our thoughts. And for a time, it wasn't driving any of our thoughts, any of our actions. We lived purely for the earth. And he's saying that's what you were. You were futile, futile. How do you say that word? Futile or futile? futile. Help me out here. Futile? Futile? <laughs> Both? Either or. Futile in their minds. We'll go with that one today. And that's how he starts it off. You were pointless. You were useless. The next thing he says is you were darkened in your understanding. 
darkened in your understanding. So you had a version of understanding, but it was limited to what you could see in the pure darkness. Now imagine if you came to my house, let's assume in this thing you've never been to my house before, many of you haven't, so this is going to work. You come to my house and you're going to learn some few things about our house and about us, about the way we live, but you're going to come to our house and it's going to be one of those pitch black nights, okay? The moon and the stars aren't out, they're clouded, and we're going to have none of our lights on at our house, okay? Not one, not even a clock. None of our lights are going to be on in our house, and you're going to have to learn about our house and learn about our furniture placement, and things like that with no lights whatsoever. What are you going to discover? Not much. Not much because you're in the darkness. And when we're in the darkness, you don't learn a lot, do you? You can feel around. You can attempt to walk. You can try to discover a few things. But without light, what good is it? That's the way Paul describes our former manner of thinking. Darkened in our understanding. We had a, we had a version of understanding but it was in spiritual darkness. Wow. Does that hit you hard? Because that hits me hard. There was a version of wisdom that I had, worldly wisdom, worldly understanding, but again, according to God's perspective, in the spiritual realm, I was in pitch black darkness. And my understanding was limited to what I can see in the darkness, which is hardly anything at all. Maybe nothing. And that's their former manner of life. That's their former manner of thinking. And we're going to flip this on its edge here in a minute and look at the opposite of that when we come to Jesus Christ. But going on, he says, you were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in you. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was once in you. Now, again, there's two kind of versions in the scriptures of the word alien. There's a bad alien and there's a good alien. We use aliens today for like people from other planets, Martians, things like that. I don't know if they would have uh, talked about alien in that degree back in the days of the Bible, but they would have used the word alien. An alien could just mean someone not from your land, someone not from your territory, someone who is from a different country, a different part of the world. We use that today, right? Aliens, meaning people from other parts of the world. They're not Americans. They come to our land, but they're not from us. And Paul says, you were an alien, that's the bad alien, because you were an alien from the life of God. God has life. God has always had life. But you didn't know it. You didn't have it. You didn't walk in that. And that's hard to understand as well, because that means I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know anything about God's life. I was a stranger to God's life, to eternal life. I didn't even know what I was missing out on, and neither did you. I lived, in my former manner of life, I lived in confidence. I did. I was going a direction. I thought I knew best. I was chasing some things. I was going to be quite successful. And when I came to Jesus Christ, I now look back on that going, what was I doing? What was I chasing? What was that stuff? Why, did, why was I so confident in that stuff? It's because I didn't know. I was ignorant of the life of God. And that's the former manner of life that every single one of us once faced. We were spiritual outsiders. God had life. God had purpose for every single one of us. And we didn't know what it was. That was a time in our life that we were aliens to the life of God. Then he says this. He says we were hard-hearted. Now, who do you think of when you think of someone who is hard-hearted? Not in your life, but in the scriptures. Who do you think of when you think of someone who was hard-hearted? Peter. Peter, prior to coming to Jesus? Pharaoh. Who said Pharaoh? Pharaoh is my classic example of someone who is hard-hearted. This guy, you guys remember that, right? In Egypt, all the plagues are coming against Egypt. I mean, think about the plagues, right? Your water turns into blood. 
There's frogs in your bed. There's boils all over your skin. There's locusts and all kinds of horrible things are happening. And people are reasoning with, with Pharaoh, saying, Pharaoh, let the people go. Look what's coming to us. Look what God has inflicted upon us. Let them go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let those people go. So plague after plague after plague after plague. Pharaoh's hard-hearted. Finally, the last one kind of hits him hard. It kind of rocks him, right? The death of their firstborn son. Every firstborn son dead, except for the Israelites. And for a time, Pharaoh's like, okay, that's plenty. Take them. Take the Israelites. And then what happened again as he let him go? I want him back. And his heart became hard again. That's, that's what Paul is referring to as us before Christ. Hard-hearted. We didn't care about the things of God. We didn't know about the things of God. We didn't want to know the things about God. You ever meet people like that in the world? They don't care. You try to share with them the life-giving, life-changing gospel, and they want nothing to do with it. Now, we can judge those people and go, yeah, they're hard-hearted. Those people are wicked. But we were those people. I was that person. I was hard-hearted. God was trying to teach me truth, trying to reveal his love to me, and my heart was hard. I didn't want to hear it. So he had to soften my heart, and we will get to that. But that's what we were. We were hard-hearted like Pharaoh. And then he says callous. We were callous. I looked up the word callous, and it says, showing or having an insensitive and cruel disregard for others. Showing or having an insensitive and cruel disregard for others. I don't like to think of myself that way before Jesus. I was pretty kind. I was a nice guy. It wasn't cruel, I would have said. But this is God's truth. This is God's truth. And when we know everything that God knows, and we look back at our former manner of life, you know what we would probably find? Callousness. Indifference, at best, to other people. Caring only about ourselves. Only about what makes Todd happy. Only about what I want in that day. Yeah, there's people hurting, but I don't have to look at them. I don't have to think about them. Kind of like the two guys in the parable of the Good Samaritan walking right on by the guys who are hurting and half dead. Callous. Insensitive. Indifferent. Cruel. Not thinking about the needs of those who are hurting around us. And God says these things about every one of us. This is what we were. And then he says this, given themselves to sensuality. The word sensuality means the enjoyment, expression, or pursuit of physical, especially sexual pleasure. And he says you gave yourself to sensuality. We would use the word hedonist today. Maybe you've heard that word, hedonist. Just living for the pure base pleasure of life. Whatever makes us happy. Right? You heard the term, if it feels good, do it. That's my God. If it feels good, I'll do it. Whatever makes my flesh feel good, I'm in. Or I would use this term animalistic. That's how animals act. Whatever they want to do, whatever they feel like doing, whatever makes them happy, whatever feels good, that's what we were giving ourselves to. We weren't just dabbling in it. We were giving ourselves to that kind of lifestyle. Wow, right? This is hard to hear. But this is what we have to understand because we have to turn the corner here. Paul wants us to turn the corner permanently and understand who we are and never go back to that former manner of life. And then the last thing he says is this. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. <laughs> greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
Do you notice that the world isn't even satisfied with yesterday's perversions? Yesterday's sins? They have to invent new ones. What would have shocked us back in the 70s and 80s today are tame. You notice that? We have to sort of invent new sins, new perversions, because the old ones bore us. They're not perverse enough. They're not sinful enough. And Paul says, you once were greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Wow. Now, if we listen to Scripture, maybe you look at yourself and go, yeah, I wasn't that bad. Todd, I wasn't that bad. I, okay, I was a sinner. I wasn't perfect. I needed Jesus, but I wasn't this. But this is what God says about every single one of us. This is what God says about the Ephesians. And the Ephesians are walking in truth at this point when they're hearing this letter. They're walking in truth. They have love for all the saints. And Paul says, good, keep going. But remember what you were. That's important. Don't dwell on it. But never forget what you were. Because I need you to never go back there. Ever. I need you to never flirt with this lifestyle ever again. Because this lifestyle that we just described is anti-Christ. It's against God. God has set up his law. God has shown us how to live, what he is like, what the law says. And we have said, I'm going the opposite direction. We can't go back there, people. And that's what he's saying to the Ephesians. You can't go back to that land. You can't go back to that lifestyle. That lifestyle is hostile to God. So where are you today? Where are you today? Is this your former matter of life? Because you've turned to Jesus? Because you've trusted in Jesus? Because you have a relationship with Jesus? Or does this still describe you? Because these things are hard. They're hard to hear. But they're the reality for every single one of us who don't have Jesus. And this right here stamps the need for Jesus. If anything does, this right here stamps our need for the cleansing grace and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if I stay that way and I stand before God on judgment day, it's over. I'm doomed. Because God will destroy the wicked. If they don't repent, if they don't turn, if they don't find his life-saving, life-changing gospel, and they remain on this course, they're in bad, bad position. But the Ephesians weren't. They weren't. They had repented. They had trusted in Jesus. Why bring this up, Paul? These people had already proven in chapter 1 they're walking in truth. They're loving the saints. Why are you sharing this? Why take their nose and rub it in it again? Why would you do that, Paul? Because he needs them to remember. He needs to hold it kind of close to them to say, never go back there. Because you have an enemy. And the enemy wants to make you think today that that lifestyle wasn't that bad. Was it really that bad? Okay, you weren't perfect, but you were having fun. You were nice. You were doing your own thing. And Paul says, no, it was wicked. It was perverse. It was anti-God. And you need to never go back there. So he's reminding them of who they are now based on who they used to be. And that's the beginning part of his thought because now he's going to say, now that you're new Ephesian Christian, live for new things. Now that you're new, and they have proven themselves to be new, there was this legacy, this resume that the Ephesians had of walking in truth. So Paul is confident they are Christians. But he says, now that you're new, live for new things. But are you new? Have you been made new? Have you turned to Jesus? 
Have you? I ask this every single week on the campus of Keystone College. Because there are people in our day and age who think Christianity is simply about morals, going to church a few times. You're not Mormon. You're not Muslim. What are you? You're Christian. And they haven't actually turned to Jesus. But that's our foundation. That is our only foundation. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have a foundation. And then he says in verse 21 to the Ephesians, but that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not how you learned Jesus. That former manner of life, that's not what Jesus taught. That's not how Jesus lived. That's not what Jesus propagated and shared with everyone who listened to him. He shared something new, something different with those people. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And I love that phrase. Where is the truth? It's in Jesus. Can you find truth without Jesus? No, because it doesn't exist, because it's in Jesus. If you find Jesus, you find all truth. If you miss Jesus, you miss it all, because it's inside of him. He is truth. He embodies truth. You can't have one without the other. If you have truth, it's because you have Jesus. If you have Jesus, it's because you have truth. Their team. And the Ephesians did have truth, and they did have Jesus. And now Paul says, live for brand new things, things that God likes, things that make God happy, things that glorify God's name. That's why you were created. I thought about that this, this past night. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep? I had that this last night, and it wasn't I was feeling bad or anything like that. My, I woke up, and my mind was racing, and I was just thinking about this lesson, and I thought this. God created me. I know it's simple, but it's profound. God created me. He made me. I function. I have a mind. I have a body. Everything I have, I owe to God. I don't, I'm not here otherwise. You're not here otherwise. God created every single one of us. And then I leap to another thought. God redeemed me. When I went astray, when my... This creation went astray and went away from him and started living like this. God brought me back. He saved me. He redeemed me. He spent the blood of his son in order to do so. And that proves everything we're saying today. This is about God. It may not be the easiest lifestyle. It may not be on earth the most rewarding lifestyle. You might not find a lot of friends in this lifestyle. It may be harder to live the lifestyle Paul's about to say. But it's for God. It's for God. It's the reason you were created. It's the reason you were redeemed. So let's turn the page here. Because Paul says, live new. Live for new things. He reminds the Ephesians that when Christ came to them, he first saved them and he gave them new life. He did. That's, that's the foundation for every single one of us who are in Christ. God saved us and God gave us new life. But that's not the end of the story because he also taught us. He taught us how to think and how to live according to God's will. Jesus could have done that, right? He could have just saved us from heaven. Stay on your throne, Jesus. Save us. Or come down and die. Okay, do your thing. Age 33. Just die. Go back up into heaven. No, he spent his entire life teaching. He spent his entire life training. He spent his entire life showing us the way to go because otherwise we would continually go the wrong way. And if we have been saved and been reborn, we should now have the opposite of what we did before. And I'm going to take that list that we just talked about, and I'm going to flip it on its end. 
Because I honestly think those are the things we should have. Every single Christian, if we're in Christ, should have the opposite of the list we just mentioned. First thing, usefulness in our minds. We should be useful. We should be purposeful in our minds. We should be vessels of usefulness. We should now have a purpose, a design that we live for. And we do. We do. Every single one of us who are in Christ have a purpose and can be useful for God and for his kingdom. Praise the Lord, because for a while, that was not the case. We were living pointless, futile lives. And now God says of our minds, of our lives, that is useful for my kingdom, for my purpose. The next thing is light in our understanding. We used to be darkened in our understanding. Our understanding was only reserved to what we could see in the pitch darkness. And now the light was turned on. Now take the scenario I said before, come over to my house, all the lights are on, the sun is shining, explore and see where our furniture is and see everything. You can learn a lot because the light is on. We now have the light on in our minds and our hearts. Praise to God. I can see. I can see. And we have God to thank for that. Now I can navigate through this world. Now I can think about right and wrong. Now I can think about it. I can reason. Is this best? Is this best according to the kingdom and the will and the mind of God? Is this best? Before I couldn't do that. If it feels good, do it. I just did it that way. Oh, it feels good. I'll just do it that way. And now I can go, wait a minute. Is this best? Is this glorifying to my God? Having the life of God because of our newfound wisdom. Now we're not ignorant anymore. We, we know truth. We've learned truth. We're not strangers anymore. What are we? We're children. We went from aliens to the life of God to being children of that very God. Isn't that awesome? Strangers and aliens to the life of God no longer. Not, not only do we know it now, we are children of that God. His offspring, his children. We're not ignorant anymore. We have the life of God. We breathe in the life of God. We walk in the life of God every single day. We're soft-hearted. We're soft-hearted. That is praise to Jesus. He came in and he softened my heart and he softened your heart so we can now want truth. We can now want to live for God. Why? Because our heart has been made soft to the things of God. Now we can listen. We can learn. We can raise our hand and say, God, teach me Train me. Show me your way. Where before we said, I don't care. There's a God. He's holy. He's, he, I was created for that God. I don't care. And now I say to this, I say this to God. God, teach me and train me. Show me the way to go. And that's because he gave me that soft heart. Now we can be sensitive and caring towards others. Now we're not callous. Now I could feel for people. I could see the needs around me. I could be like the third guy in the parable of the Good Samaritan. I can go, wait a minute. This guy's hurting. This guy's half dead. He's naked. He's beaten up. He needs things. And I can go, I should help him. I should do something. I should act as if that was me laying on the, on the side of the road. What would I want someone to do for me? Because I'm not callous anymore. I'm sensitive. I'm caring to the things of others because of what God has done for me. It's because of that soft heart. Now, before we, before we gave ourselves to sensuality, now we can give ourselves to the will of God. By following Jesus. In fact, it's a commandment. Don't just learn about Jesus. Don't just come to church. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And if you pick up your cross and follow me, that's every ounce of you. I need all of you. Whatever, remember, you gave yourself to sensuality. You gave yourself to wicked and corrupt things. Now I want you to give yourself to the will of God. 
and we can and we, we should because of what God has done for us. And the last thing is ready and eager to practice every sort of godly behavior. I hope that's true of you. I hope you're ready and eager to practice every sort of godliness because that's what we're going to do for the rest of today and the next sermon is talk about godly behavior. And it's not going to really make a point if you're not ready and eager to practice that godly behavior. you got to first want it. Do you want to live godly? Do you want to live for Christ? Honestly, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to glorify God with your lives? This right here is the right and only path. And we find it in Jesus. We find all of those things in Jesus. Every one of them. Every one of them is to his credit. I have all of those things because Jesus gave them to me. Now I have a role based on what I have learned, based on what I have do, based on my soft heart, based on what I can learn, I can practice godly things. And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of today. Because Paul says living for things we used to live for is a very big red flag. If you are a Christian and you claim to be a Christian, but you still live like your former manner of life, that's a really big red flag because of what 2 Corinthians 5 17 says. It says we are new creations. We are new creations. We were actually spiritually reborn. Not tweaked. You know, not enhanced. We were reborn. We are new, brand new spiritual creations if you trust in Jesus Christ. You're not like who you were before. And we're going to use an example here in a minute of that. But that's amazing to know. We're new creations. We weren't just modified a little bit. We weren't just trained and taught. We were made new so that we can live completely differently with new power, with new understanding, with a new soft heart. Yes, we aren't fully mature like we should strive to be, but we are brand new beings and we should have such a distinct difference in what we live for now that it should be seen all over our lives. The difference in our lives between old and new should be distinct distinctly difference. This is an important foundation of the gospel. If we claim to be Christians, we should have the evidence of a distinct, profound change in our lives, as well as a distinct, profound difference than what the world glories in. It should be so distinct, it should look the difference between life and death. That's how distinct the difference should be in the life of a Christian versus the life of someone who doesn't have Jesus Christ. How big is the difference between life and death? Think about it. Is that pretty big? If you take a dead person versus someone who's alive, how distinct is the difference? Is it hard to notice? Do you have to be around them a lot of time, like days and weeks, to understand that there's a difference? No, hopefully you can understand it in a matter of moments. Something is different here. Something is distinct here. That should be the difference in every single one of us from our old former manner of way of life and our, the world that we live in now and, and their manner of life as well. It should be distinct. Because most of the world are practical Gentiles, as we mentioned before. Most of them are spiritual Gentiles. Most of them are outsiders to God's family. Most of them are living in sinfulness. And that used to be our reality. That used to be my reality. And the world functions according to their ignorance. They function according to what they think is truth. And they sin because they're sinners. Just the honest truth. They do whatever's according to their nature. Right? Don't sinners sin? 
They sin because they don't know any better. They don't have the new creation. They don't know any better. They don't know about the life. They're aliens to the things about God. But what about us? I'm not aliens anymore to the life of God. I know better. I know the difference between right and wrong. My heart has been made soft to the truth. That should be distinct. That should be noticeable. That my life is completely different than it was before, and it's completely different to everyone who doesn't have Christ. Is your life distinctly different? Not fully mature, that's a different question. Is it distinctly different because you have new birth, because you have light in your understanding, because you have a soft heart, because you want the things of God? If we're in Christ, how Paul described our manner of life was our former manner of life. It doesn't describe us currently. But if you're not in Christ today, it does describe your life currently. Because you and I have been made saints by God's grace. We're called to live like strangers. And here's this word aliens again. We're called to live like aliens now upon this earth. I mean, Scripture says that a few times. Live like a stranger and an alien. That's the good alien, okay? Live like you're not from here. Honestly, live like you're not from the world or from the earth. That's the good kind of alien. My sister says, my sister lives in Berlin, Germany. <laughs> this probably won't shock you, but when Americans come to Berlin, it's easy to spot them. Yeah, they're loud, brash. Um, they, just, they just have their own distinct ways. Americans are very easily picked out in Germany. Uh, Luke and Levi are over there now. We sent them. And uh, yeah, they were picked up right away that they're Americans. Now, that's not a bad thing. I mean... Americans, they have different culture than Germans, but Germans pick up on it right away. You're not from here, are you? Um, you're an American, aren't you? And that's because they're aliens. They're aliens to Germany. They don't know German way. They don't know German culture. They know American culture. And that's what Paul is proving here today, to say you used to be an alien to the things of God. Now you're an alien to the things of the earth, or you should be, or you should want to be. You should be striving to live like an alien upon the earth because this isn't your homeland anymore. Do you remember our calling when we talked about our calling? Paul said a part of our calling is living like citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. You don't live like you're from the earth. You live like you're from heaven, even though I've never been there. Even though I've never seen heaven, I am a citizen of that heaven and I should live like it. And if we don't act and live distinctly, distinctly differently than the world, then we really should consider that perhaps our knowledge of Christ is only based on academia and not experience. If we don't live distinctly differently, if there's not a distinct difference in what I live for versus what I used to live for, in what I live for versus what the world lives for, then we need to possibly consider that my understanding about Christ is purely academic. I just know some things about him. I've learned about Christ. I know some things about it. I could pass a test. If you gave me some Q&As about Jesus Christ, I could get a lot of them right. But not experiential. Because when you're reborn, when you're spiritually regenerated, that's a word we use, regeneration, it's the most profound change anyone could ever undergo. Do you know that? It's the most profound change anyone could ever go. I have this lifestyle. Now, you guys can't see that. You have to just... Take my word for it. But at 25, I'm going the pattern of the world, okay? I'm chasing the things of the flesh. I'm living based on the understanding that I have, which isn't very much. And at 26, I encountered Christ. 
I encounter Jesus. And my life flips upside down. I turn completely around. And it's distinct. Not mature. That's a process. That's a, that's a maturation process. But it was distinct. It was noticeable. My family noticed. My friends noticed. My co-workers noticed. There was a distinct difference between Todd who didn't have Jesus and Todd who did have Jesus. Is that the same for you? Do you have that distinct difference? Now, maybe some of you came to Christ so young in your faith, early on in your age, maybe you can't know that and see that as clearly. But you can see it based on the difference the world lives, right? And that's the second part of the question. Are you distinctly different than how the world lives and what the world glories in? Are you? Do you have more hope? Do you have truth? Are you sensitive to the needs of others? Do you care about the things of God? Do you love, passionately love Jesus Christ? When someone takes his name in vain, does that drive you up a wall? Does it like nails on a chalkboard? Not my Lord. See, who's writing this letter? Who's writing this letter? The Apostle Paul. He is the illustration. Paul was a walking illustration of what he's talking about. Because Paul used to be Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus spent every single day doing what hurt Christians. He tried to lock them up. He tried to get them arrested. He tried to have them killed. And that was Saul of Tarsus. If you were a Christian, you didn't want to run into Saul of Tarsus. He was a bad guy. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing this letter. What happened? What happened? On the road to Damascus, Paul met Jesus. He met Jesus. Dramatically, profoundly met Jesus. And what happened for the Apostle Paul that day? He turned around. Not physically. He still kept going to Damascus. But every purpose of his life changed. He became a brand new person. Now spending time around Paul for a Christian was the biggest blessing you could ever receive. Paul wrote a quarter of the New Testament, but he used to be Saul of Tarsus. You see, faith isn't just agreeing to certain doctrines. It's living new based on what those doctrines teach us. Is that your faith? Not just a noun you store away in your, in your, in your office, and your shelves, but is it an action verb? Because faith is always meant to be an action verb. Have you been reborn by turning to Jesus? Because only Jesus can change that nature. Only Jesus. I'll stress that. Only Jesus can change your nature. Very quickly, we've got to move fast, and this is only half the lesson. If we're in Jesus, and if we desire to live for the things of God, I want to look at the three things Paul tells us to do. Okay, here's three things in this one paragraph of what to do if you can, be, if you can live new, and if you want to live new. Okay, the first thing he says is this. Put off your old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put it off. Remember my illustration about the tablet and the pillow? It's time to get rid of it, man. It's old. It's bad. It's doing you no good. The old man, Paul says, was corrupted through sin. So corrupt, it warranted eternal hell. That's how corrupt we were. There was only one place for us. Hell. That's how corrupt we were. 
But when Jesus saved us, you know what happened to that old man, that old self? He died. That old man died. That's what baptism signifies. Because we go into the water, and that signifies death. We get lowered into the water. That signifies the old man is dead. The old man is gone. And that's not the period, because we come back up. And that signifies new life in Jesus. But that old man is dead. If you're in Christ, that old man is gone. He doesn't have control over you anymore. He doesn't have to say over you anymore. He's dead. And our devil, our enemy, loves to say, he's not dead. That's still you, man. That's still you. You still have to live that way. You can claim some things about Jesus Christ, but that's still you. He's wrong. He's lying. Because the old man is dead. Put it off. Here's the thing. The old man died, but we lived in that lifestyle so long, some of those habits remain in us, don't they? Some of those old man habits still remain in us. And when we find the habits of the old man, we've got to do something very, very simple. Put it off. Or better, put them to death. Put the old lifestyle to death. Throw the old habits in the garbage because that's what they are. They're garbage. My children do that sometimes. They, they think I'm the garbage. Your children ever do that? Hey, here, Dad, here's my wrapper. Here's my banana peel. And uh, I have to tell my twins constantly, twins, throw the garbage in the garbage. It's like two different terms. Here's the noun garbage. I want you to take this noun garbage and put it into this noun garbage because that's what you do with garbage. You throw it away. Well, our old lifestyle was garbage. Garbage. And Paul says, throw it where it belongs. Throw it in the garbage. Put it away and put it away for good. Those sins and deceitful desires we once had corrupted us. They corrupted us. And the devil wants to stay. He wants us to stay corrupt. So he brings those sins back out for us to play with. Go, remember how fun these were? Remember? We had a good time with these sins. Oh, you should do it again. Oh, they're not that bad. Don't worry about it. No, you're still going to heaven. Play with the old sins. They're fun. No, let's do it again. Because he wants us corrupted once again. Once again. But now here's the difference. We know better. We know better. And we have to lay aside those sinful practices. Why? Because they were sinful. They were ungodly. They were carnal. They were wicked. They were deserving of hell. We can't use any kind terms for our old lifestyle. It was wicked. It was ungodly. And it has to die. It says in Romans 8.13, basically in my own words, it says, kill sin or sin will kill you. Sin's not your friend. The devil's not your buddy. He's not someone to watch a game with and have a good time with. He's there to kill you. Do you know that? And so is the sin. The sin that he wants you to play with is there to kill your soul. And Romans says, kill it before it kills you. And you can. And that's why we go on, because he says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed. I love that word, renewed. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This word renew means Reestablish a relationship with. Reestablish a relationship with the God who created you, with the truth that can set you free. Reestablish a relationship with God. And this means you've got to know what that relationship is. You've got to know what it is. You have to know what truth is in order to be renewed by that relationship. But once you know that relationship, you can be renewed by that relationship. But here's the thing. We can't fall backwards into holiness. No one ever has. We have to strive for it. And in order to strive for holiness, we need to constantly sit under the teachings of Jesus and of Scripture 
and let those teachings shape how we think and how we live. Are you being renewed by Scripture? Not just on Sundays, that's good too, but daily, are you being renewed by Scripture daily? If we don't and if we aren't, you know what's going to happen? The old man won't seem that bad. If we're not being renewed by the teachings of Jesus, we'll consider the old man, eh, he's not that bad. It wasn't really that bad. I can still do some of those things and still be a Christian. But when you sit under the teachings of Jesus, you go, no, 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 no. That was bad. That was wicked. That was carnal. And that's why Romans 12, 2 says, let scripture renew your mind. Let it teach you and remind you once again how bad that lifestyle was and how good the lifestyle of Jesus is. And the third thing Paul says to do is this, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So once you put the old man away and his habits away, once you're being renewed by the teachings of Jesus, now put on the new self. Once we are in the habit of removing those old practices, we have to replace them with new practices. Why? Why? Why not just take the old ones away and be done? Because if we don't put on the new practices, we'll end up filling that time and end up using that energy for something that may be harmful. We'll end up putting on an old garment, an old putrid, filthy garment again and go, oh yeah, let's put that back on. Paul says, no, take off the old and put on the new. Just like my children do when they go out and get dirty in the yard and they come in and they're all covered in mud and leaves. Take the old off, put them in the tub and then put new garments on. That's what Paul is saying. And he's not talking about being saved here. He's saying put on practically the lifestyle of someone who is a Christian. Holy, practical living. We must daily and habitually be putting on the habits and the teachings we have learned from Jesus. This Christianity, guys, is all about disciplines. It's all about disciplines. No one falls backwards into holiness. No one falls backwards into godliness. You either discipline yourself for godliness or you don't attain godliness. You don't. So you have to renew your mind. You have to pray. You have to gather with the church. You have to constantly put off old habits and you have to constantly put on new habits. And that's how you become mature and godly and live according to your calling. I want to move quickly to the application like I said, we're going to chop this up into two different lessons. My application for today is just a reminder of what we've already said. <clears throat> it's this. Number one, do you remember what you once were? Do you remember that person? Do you remember what you once lived for? Do you remember how against God your lifestyle was and where that lifestyle was sending you? Because it's important. I don't think we need to dwell upon it. But we can't forget it either. Do you remember what you once were, what you once lived for? Number two, have you been reborn by turning to Jesus? That has to happen. This isn't just a, hey, I just want to teach you a few moral things. No, you have to be a completely brand new spiritual person. And that can only happen by turning to Jesus by faith. Has that happened for you? Have you turned to Jesus by faith and become a brand new person? creation because when you do all of this can happen and if you don't none of it can happen number three are you putting to death the deeds of your former manner of life 
Are you putting to death those things that used to corrupt your soul? Are you? Or are you just kind of flirting with them and just kind of suppressing them here and there? they got to be put to death. Those things I used to live for and glorify in have to be put to death. Number four, are you being renewed by the teachings of Jesus daily? daily, habitually renewed by the teachings of Jesus. What else can tell us what good is? What else can tell us what righteousness is? What else can tell us the right way to go? Nobody but Jesus. He's the only one that has the perfect eternal perspective and truth. You've got to learn it from Jesus. If you don't learn it from Jesus, you don't learn it at all. Are you being renewed by the teachings of Jesus? And number five, are you putting on the new habits that you're learning from Scripture, because this is the second half of every sermon. Learn it, and then apply it. Learn it only? No, that's not enough. Listen only, hear only? No, you have to apply what you learn. Are you putting on the new habits that you're learning from Scripture? I pray that you think about that today. I pray that you think about that old man, what that person was actually accomplishing for you, what that person was actually helping you do, which was nothing good. I pray that you think about the life Jesus came to give you. And I pray you'd think about this today. How do I live based on that? What should I do based on that? And I pray that you'd remember the testimony of the Apostle Paul going south, living his own way, thinking he was right, meeting Jesus, Understanding he was wrong, Jesus is right, and doing a 180 and following Jesus for the rest of his life, even to the point of facing martyrdom. Because the truth is in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this lesson. It's big, it's heavy, it's long, it's intense. Father, thank you for it. We wouldn't know these things unless you taught us. And I hope the tone was right today because this is something I used to be too and I still struggle with laying off the habits of the old man. But Father, they're not here to do us any good but great, great harm. I pray that we would listen to this today and we would be renewed by the teachings of Jesus. Even today, we'd be refreshed and renewed by this saying, yes, yes, strengthen me, Father. Help me go forward. And Father, we would ask for your help. We would ask for your Holy Spirit's help to strengthen us, to encourage us, to set Jesus ever before us, to walk according to the new man that we've received by your great grace and do it for your great glory. We thank you for this opportunity today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.